Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. When am I ever going to use this? Or maybe it was high school chemistry for me when we were looking at the good old periodic table. When are we ever going to use this? You begin to wonder, when are you going to use this knowledge as an adult when you are out in the real world? And um, is this ever going to be practical and useful? We have teachers in the room. Dina has already shown that she has answered this question multiple times. And I'm sure, teachers, um, you have you've probably hear, heard this from students. And students, you may have asked these questions multiple times to your, your teachers. When I was in high school, I remember that um, I was daydreaming of the day that I could get to college because then I was going to take only the classes I was interested in, right? As you guys chuckle, as you know, um, I didn't know that going to a four-year university meant that you were forced, I mean, given the privilege of taking classes outside of your discipline because they want you to be more well-rounded, right? Um, so when I got my first course schedule in college and it showed that I had a PE class and an English class, it's like, this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for taking Bible classes and Christian ministry classes. Well, when I was getting ready for my sophomore year and it was time to fulfill my history requirement, um, history is not one of my fortes. I like specific eras of history um, and I'm interested in those, um, but for just history in general, I'm not really good at it, so I decided that I was going to take the easiest class and the easiest professor. Because at least in college, you get educational freedom a little bit, and you get to pick who you're taking the class from and kind of what class it is. So I was going to pick that class, or I was going to pick an easy class, and all my peers, the council of my peers said, no, you need to take Dr. Wood's class. And Dr. Wood is known to be the hardest professor in history. So it's like, why would I do that? And they said, no, 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 it is the best class. You've got to take Dr. Wood. Um, he is fantastic for anybody who doesn't really like history. This is the class that you need to take. And so I reluctantly decided to listen to my peers and I signed up for Dr. Wood's history class. And it's kind of funny because I don't remember anything from the two semesters that I learned in history, um, except for day one. And that's what I wanna share with you today. Day one, we get into class and I was hoping that he would introduce us, give us five minutes of the syllabus, and then send us on our way, and we could have the rest of the class period to do whatever we wanted to do. Um, no, he actually ran over because he got on his soapbox all about answering this question. When am I ever going to use this? He said, he came in and said, I know most of you don't want to be here. I know most of you don't care about history. It's not your major. It's not your degree. But I will tell you why you want to be here. It's because of Thanksgiving. And so then your, your curiosity is piqued, and you're like, what do you mean Thanksgiving? And he said, you right now, he gave us the whole hopeless state that we were in, that we were doomed to be at the kids' table the whole rest of our lives. He said that you are not interesting, you are boring right now, because you don't know things that the rest of the adults know. And so if you decide to never learn about history and English and current events and things that are going on, then you're going to be stuck at the kids' table. He said that you're not going to ever be invited to the adult table. You're not going to have those conversations. You don't get to just get grandfathered in because you're getting too big to sit at the kids' table. You stay at the kids' table. Um, so over the past several weeks, we have been going through a series in the book of Romans. And the Apostle Paul wrote this, um, this letter to a church he had never been to. 
Um, usually a lot of his letters, there were specific reasons why he decided to write these letters. Um, a lot of the times there was communication going back and forth, or he had been to these churches and he had seen the state that they were in, and so he was giving them advice or giving them reasons um, to, or things to do, and this time he didn't, he didn't know this church. This was more of an introduction to him, and the reason being is because uh, the Apostle Paul was really, it laid on his heart to go preach the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles and people who had not yet heard the good news. And so he was using Rome as kind of a stopping ground to move on to Spain. And so this was his introduction letter to the church in Rome. And so he kind of goes through his theology. And so in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he offers his sort of thesis statement or the whole reason why he's writing this letter. And this is what it says. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that the righteous person has life. But from there, he decides to go into a kind of a long section or discourse about the power that sin has over humanity. And he does this because you cannot understand the salvation message without knowing what you are being saved from. It's like you wouldn't go to the hospital if you didn't think you were sick. So the Apostle Paul lays out that, that the humanity has fallen and that we are hopeless um, to overcome this power of sin left to our own devices. Um, last week, Pastor Paul shared with us that we are in a state of total depravity without God, a state where we are born into sin and inclined to sin. And this has resulted in us taking what is natural and good and twisting it into something utterly unrecognizable. We have distorted the good things that God has intended for our lives, good things like love and truth, and instead have clouded them with our own selfish desires. The Apostle Paul shares that the wrath of God is coming. That's because we serve a just God, so justice is required. God was not faking it when he said that there would be punishment for sinning against him. He was not a frustrated parent hurling out empty threats. Parents, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. The kind of things you might hear from a parent who is so frustrated for dealing with the battle over and over and over again. So then empty threats, they come out of anger, and they are attempt at tricking the child into, um, into compliance. If you don't do this, then this is going to happen. It probably won't, but you don't know that, so I'm just going to tell you. Something like, if you don't clean your room, I'm going to throw away everything in your room. Have you ever used that as a parent? You probably won't throw away everything in their room, but they don't know that. So you're hoping that they will listen to you finally. God, he was not using empty threats, nor was he lying when he said that there would be deep and crushing consequences for choosing to disobey God. And it comes at a cost, and this primary consequence is death. Separation from God. It results in us living outside of the will of God. And it results in us living outside 
of his presence. And we are unable to fully experience the full extent of God's love that he wants to lavish upon us. This is why humanity needs a savior. And this is why you and I need a savior. Because when we're saved from the power of sin, then we can now live in the power of God. We can then experience grace in its fullness, love that is all-consuming, and we can experience freedom from the bondage of sin. So this morning we are in Romans chapter 3. And we're in 321 through the rest of the chapter. And so this morning right now I'm going to read 21 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in God. So the beginning of Romans is this introductory period for, for um, Paul. He talks about who he is, and then he goes into his thesis statement in verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1, like I read earlier. And then from Romans 1.18 all the way up until Romans 3.20, right before I started, um, things seem pretty hopeless. Um, he's talking about the, the wrath of God and, and the despair that we find ourselves in. But then, in verse 21, it says, but now. But now, the Apostle Paul is turning the page a bit. He's turning the page from the wrath of God and is now talking about the grace of God and the hope that we have because of who God is and because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, um, he's talked quite a bit about the law up until now. And when he mentions the law and the prophets, he's simply mentioning scripture. He's saying scripture. The Jewish people, they would have studied and known this scripture and the message of the law and the prophets well because they grew up hearing it. And the Apostle Paul, he was really well-versed in it. He was a Jew. He was actually a Pharisee um, prior to this time. And so he was one of the strictest people who were saying, you need to follow the law to the letter of the law. It needs to be exactly the way it is laid out. Um, he persecuted those who were preaching the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, because he seemed to think that that was contrary to what the law and the prophets were saying, because it was contrary to the message that they had heard growing up that the Jewish people are the chosen people, that this is how we're going to be saved. The Apostle Paul was so intent on upholding the law that he even got special permission to go to Damascus and to arrest those who were preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. 
who were preaching that there is hope now that Jesus has come and lived, died, and rose again. That this is the Savior that we've been waiting for, the Messiah that has been promised for a long time. So on the way, Jesus got a hold of him. So he was on Damascus. He had a plan. He was going to, to arrest these people. And Jesus got a hold of him in a rather intense way. It's in Acts chapter 9, if you've never read it. It's a really good read. Um, and from there, Paul was changed. He was transformed, and he began to see the scripture in a different light. He wasn't one who wanted to throw out God's word in the Old Testament anymore, because that's kind of what some people wanted to do. Instead, he said that all the scripture, everything that he had learned, actually pointed to Jesus. For us, it might be tempting to say that the Old Testament is irrelevant to our lives now. That anything pre-Jesus, we just, it's moot. We shouldn't, we shouldn't read it because now we have Jesus, right? No, 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 that is not a good reading of Scripture. The Old Testament is still God's word for us. Among other things, the Old Testament shares with us two things, two big things. The first is humanity's relationship with God the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the second really big thing that the Old Testament shares with us is God's character, his truthfulness. We both need um, these, we both need to understand these in order to understand the good news. In the Old Testament, we read about our place in the story of God from the beginning of creation, how God in his love created humanity to be in special relationship with him. This was the plan. How Adam and Eve chose to violate a known law of God, thus having sin enter our world. Although humanity had fallen, God didn't give up on us. He didn't give up on you and me. Instead, he established a covenant with Abraham and his family um, so that the whole world would be blessed through him. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, women, men, children, that everybody would be reconciled back to him. This was the plan to redeem humanity, all of humanity, through his son, Jesus Christ. And he had already begun the preparation for his saving grace to be revealed and manifest through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. As we know, his people often rebelled. We read that in the Old Testament. Um, they often turned to worshiping idols and forgetting what God had done for them and forgetting the ways that he had revealed himself to them. And instead, they, offer, or they, they opted to blame God, to complain, to, to grumble against him. Because without the redemption that comes through Jesus, we are slaves to sin. The Israelites, they received God's law, but historically they failed again and again to follow it because without the redemption that comes through Jesus, we are slaves to sin. In the Old Testament, we also see God's character revealed, his righteousness, his truthfulness, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his presence among us and in his creation. Some people have argued that the God of the Old Testament sounds really different from the God of the New Testament. Another argument to say, oh, the Old Testament, it's not really important to us. We, sh we shouldn't really read it anymore. Um, and this isn't a new idea. Um, back as early as the second century, there was an early Christian theologian who presented this, 
and he was quickly deemed a heretic because this is simply not a view supported in Scripture. And I would say that again this morning, this idea that we should get rid of the Old Testament or we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, think that they're the same God, that's crazy, and it's not supported in Scripture. Instead, when we read Scripture through the life of Jesus, through the death of Jesus and the resurrection, then, oh, and we read in light of the Holy Spirit who, was, who is manifest in the world, we can see that the Scripture points to Jesus. Old Testament Scripture always points to our God who is present and active, redeeming his creation. And here in Romans 3.21, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the Old Testament points to fulfilled prophecy, which proves God's promises are true, that he speaks the truth and that he is faithful. The Apostle Paul warns his Jewish audience that you must see Old Testament scripture bearing witness and testimony to God's righteousness revealed in Jesus. If we take Jesus out of God's word, um, then we run the risk of using scripture to, um, to be a tool to judge, right? A tool to measure and rank people on some human-created scale about how close they can get to Jesus or how much better they are than someone else. The Jewish readers, they no doubt saw this. They thought that they were closer to God because he was their chosen, or they were his chosen people, that they had the law. Um, but as Paul has broken down throughout the beginning of this letter to the Romans, there is no one higher than the other. Instead, in Romans 3.23, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I think we might fall into this trap sometimes, too. Um, we try to rank ourselves, right? God's glory is here, but we're all down here. We almost try to measure up who is better, but we're all still down here. We cannot bridge the gap to get to God's glory without him. We still think we can move up and down based on our merit. Well, I'm a better person than that person who's kind of a jerk to everybody, so at least I'm doing better than him. Or I'm doing better than that person who has sinned in a very public, very, very um, big way. But it's not worth our time comparing ourselves because every one of us has missed the mark, and that is Paul's message here. We all need to be made right, which only happens when we place our faith in Jesus. That means that we need to accept our true status, our true status that says we are sinners, that we are guilty before him, that we have missed the mark, that we don't measure up. It's to be honest with ourselves and accept our need for a Savior, that we are bound by the power of sin, but when we repent and believe, which simply means admitting to God that I am a sinner, I need your help because I can't do this alone. And then we turn towards him and away from sin. This is how we are saved when we place our faith in Jesus. The wrath of God that the Apostle Paul has laid out earlier is what we deserve. But now God has extended his undeserved favor to us because he is a gracious God who has prepared the way to bring um, creation back to himself. And he did this through Jesus, who frees us from the penalty of our sins. How, might you ask, does Jesus do this? Hear what it says again in Romans 3.25. 
For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. We may think this is kind of weird, right? We are not participating in a um, sacrificial system where we um, sin and we have to um, go sacrifice an animal, but this is the practice that, um, that the people who were under the law participated in before Jesus. Um, this was a way to have their, their sins covered and have their sin, that price still paid, um, but they didn't have to die. Instead, um, other blood was shed, in this case, an animal. There were different kinds of animal sacrifices, uh, depending on what you needed to pay, um, what, what you needed to repent for. Um, the reality was that in order to stand um, and be in right standing with God, you needed to pay that price for sin. So the animal sacrifice, it could satisfy that debt, um, that rightful, just wrath of God, but it was temporary. And so people would do this again and again and again. And one of the things that they did was the Day of Atonement, which was an annual, um, an annual thing that the Israelites came together for um, and so it was a day to cleanse the people of their sins. And one of the ways to do this was to shed blood of animal sacrifices. There was a whole ritual to it, um, which animals to use, how to sacrifice them, and what the purpose was for each component of the sacrifice. And I'm especially drawn to one of those components and how it relates to Jesus in light of the passage in Romans. So on the Day of Atonement, a priest would sprinkle the blood of a sacrificed bull and a sacrificed goat, um, and they would, he would um, sprinkle it on the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark was a, a chest covered in gold, and it held the Ten Commandments, the, the covenant with um, God's people. And it says that the atonement cover is the mercy seat. This is where God's presence was, was above this ark, um, above this atonement cover. This is what it says in Exodus 25, 22. I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover, between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. From there I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. So on the day of the atonement, when the priest would come and sprinkle the blood of the goat and the blood of the bull, um, he was doing to, so to atone and cover for his sins and the sins of the Israelites. The Ark of the Covenant um, was in the back part of the tabernacle, which was called the Most Holy Place. It was covered by a veil, and the high priest was only allowed to enter into this place where the presence of God existed once a year on the Day of Atonement when he could atone for the sins and be right in right standing so he could be back in the presence of God. That is until Jesus. Here in Romans 3.25, um, your version may say that God presented Jesus or that presented Christ as a propitiation. Or maybe it says that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. The word atonement means at one mint bringing us back into relationship and right standing and being reconciled with God. Propitiation, if that's what your Bible says, it means to satisfy or appease. And in this case, the sacrifice of Jesus satisfies our penalty of sins by covering us. 
The Greek word that is translated propitiation or sacrifice of atonement or sacrifice of sin is the same word that is uh, translated as mercy seat in the Septuagint back in the Old Testament, back where I read that as the ark covet, or the cover of atonement in on the Ark of the Covenant. It's the same word, and so we have to read um, it in light of each other, right? It's, it's essentially saying that Jesus is our mercy seat. Jesus is our way to the Father. And Jesus says that in, when he was um, among his people, that um, there's nobody getting to the Father except through me. And so when Jesus died and that veil was torn on the temple in two from top to bottom, it allows us to have access to our God instead of having to do all these rituals, instead of having to do these things um, so that we can be in right standing with God one day a year. Instead, through God's shed blood, we are now brought back into right standing and relationship when we have faith in Jesus. By, sacrificing, wait, by Jesus sacrificing his life and shedding his blood, he took the punishment of our sins to atone and make us at one with God. When we believe that Jesus has paid that price with his own blood, then we are justified and we are made right and worthy to come into God's presence. Jesus' sacrifice was able to deal with the penalty of sin once and for all as well. It wasn't this temporary, we have to go back and we have to kill the animals and sprinkle the blood. Instead, um, he didn't stay dead. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was blameless and without sin, and he conquered sin and death when he rose again. So why does God make a way for us, for Jesus to redeem us back to him? And I believe that this is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the good news is that God created this way so that we could be brought back into personal relationship with him. And one that changes us and transforms us and doesn't leave us where we're at, but transforms us to look more and more like Jesus. We can't treat the gift of God's grace and mercy as merely transactional, um, where we're just believing in order to be saved from hell. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card and that's all that's all it is. Instead, the gospel message offers so much more than just being saved from the wrath of God, although that is one important and huge benefit. Um, but when we put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, then we can experience the full extent of God's love. We can be made brought back into relationship with him, which was what was intended from the beginning. If we're trying to get back to giving love a good name, uh, then we need to go to the source. And who is love himself? God. Love is what has driven God to make a way to justify you and me in his presence. Hear what it says in 1 John 4, 9 through 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We each have a table, or we each have a seat at God's table, one with our name on it, one that we didn't need to earn, one that we didn't need to do all these things in order to not be seen as boring or to be seen as worthy to sit at it. Our seats, they cost everything. 
and a price that we couldn't pay, but a price that has been paid. And Jesus did so willingly to cover our sins, to pay that price, and to take our sins upon himself so that we could live in the fullness of God's love, his mercy, his grace, his presence, his righteousness for eternity starting now. But we must respond. It says that we have to have faith, we have to believe. We must accept the gift that Jesus has given. The seat at his table is yours, ready for when you reach out to God and enter into a life, a new life of redemption. To wrap things up, I want to touch briefly on who this good news is for. So this is the end of Romans 3, starting in verse 27. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is the God of the Jews on, or is the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, when we have faith to do, or when we have faith, do we truly fulfill the law? The Apostle Paul wants to uh, end division once and for all. He boldly claims that there is one God. This means that there is only one table, one family of God. And we ought to be challenged by this, because if we truly understand the good news of Jesus for ourselves, then we know it's the good news of Jesus for everyone else as well. Even that person who is a jerk to everyone, even that person who has sinned in a very public and very um, very big way. Think about the person in your life that is the hardest to love, that person that just gets under your skin. Maybe it is a family member or a coworker. Um, maybe think of the person who you just don't see ever turning from their sinful ways and their bad decisions, and you look on them thinking, "Man, it's it's just never. They're never gonna. They're never gonna make it." Well, let me tell you, the good news of Jesus Christ is for them as well as us. That good news of Jesus that has brought us out of darkness and brought us out of our sin and that bondage of sin is also the good news that can bring them out of the bondage of sin. We cannot judge a person if they are worthy to sit at God's table and to be part of God's family because God has already spoken. God has said yes. He is offering justification and redemption to all who call out to him, who have faith in the sacrifice of Jesus that it can save them from the consequence of their sins. And it's only then that we can enter into new life and become more like Jesus. I, I love the imagery of sitting at a table, um, in one table. I think of uh, people who, who may think that, well, I like these people over here. Well, it's one table. There's no first Naz table over here by themselves. There's no table for the less knowledgeable over here, or a Jewish table, or a Gentile table, or any other division. Instead, we are invited into one family of God. Um, no one is better than the other, and this is the beauty of the gospel. Think about who's sitting at this table with you. You have people who don't speak the same language as you, that don't look 
like you, who may not worship or use the same songs as we do, and yet this is the people that God has redeemed to himself, together at one table, one family, because we have been justified together by faith in Jesus Christ, which is entirely through the grace of God. We are a family of forgiven sinners. So the next time you look at someone with contempt, rather than judge them, pray for them. Pray for them because they have a seat too. It just might be unclaimed. Pray that God gets a hold of their hearts and pray that the Holy Spirit fills us up so that we can continue um, to do or to see them through the lens of Jesus, through the reality that we are all sinners, that we are not any better than somebody else, that we are all people who need God's mercy and grace in our lives because without it, we are in that darkness, in the experience, the wrath of God that Paul has talked to, to us about throughout all of Romans. When we see that we are no better than anyone else is when we begin to understand the true message of the gospel and that we can help give love a good name, which is really what our whole series has been about. I pray that you're challenged by the words of the Apostle Paul this morning in the book of Romans. Whether it's reaching out in God's direction for the first time um, and never having made that step and recognizing that you need a Savior, if you're wrestling with that, I pray that you talk to God this morning because he's going to meet you right where you are. God, Jesus is the good shepherd who reaches out after the one who has gone astray. He is reaching out in your direction and already has, and that is the good news of Jesus who is already preparing that way and waiting for you and going towards your direction, waiting for you to turn into his direction. For those of you who have heard this message before and accepted this message, um, maybe you've forgotten that you haven't earned God's grace and maybe you're trying to measure up or you're trying to um, do certain things to be better than others. But remember that God has made you right in his sight through Jesus, something that we couldn't have done on our own. It is through his grace and his mercy. So I pray that you use this time that we're going to have in a second to remember that you are saved by grace through faith, not of your own works, not of your own merit, that you didn't earn this on your own, but that the Holy Spirit has been given to you to continue to work in your heart and transform you to be more like Jesus. And if you're in the place today where you look at people as if they're just beyond God's grace, um, that they're beyond salvation, then I pray that you ask God to give you the eyes to see people through the lens of Jesus. And remember that if the gospel is for you, which it is, then the gospel is for every single person as well. That God is love and that he loves each and every one of us. So we're going to go to a time of prayer. Um, and then after that, we're going to have the worship band come back and, and play one more song. Um, and I pray that you use this time to talk to God yourselves. I'm going to pray, but I give you permission not to listen to me. I want you to, to talk to God, to have that conversation, because he will meet you where you are. I want to let you know that these altars are open, and they're always open. They're open every time we come to this place, that if you want to have the posture of kneeling and meeting God where, where he's at, you can come to these, um, to these altars. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, um, for this message, the message of grace, the message of hope, God, you have brought us out of sin, 
out of despair, out of total depravity. God, you have have chosen us from the beginning of time to have a special relationship with us, and, and you're still working towards that. God, we thank you that you have not given up on us. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, who could make a way for us, who was the perfect sacrifice, who was blameless, who through his life, death, and resurrection has paid the price for our sins. God, we thank you that we can look through the entire Bible and see that you are love, that you are righteous, that you are faithful to do what you say, that you speak the truth. God, we thank you that you say you love us and you mean it. God, we're thankful that you say that we can be in right standing with you and you mean it. God, we thank you for the message of hope, the message that we can be redeemed to you, and it's not of our own works. It's not us doing something to earn it. Instead, God, you have paid the price through Jesus Christ. God, we pray uh, for the Holy Spirit to come upon each and every one of us to continue um, to give us new life because the, the message of the salvation, the message of the gospel does not end there. The message continues on by the Holy Spirit coming and filling us and transforming us so that we can see people the way that you see them, that we can turn from sin, that we can be released and freed from the bondage of sin so that we can live for you, that we can live in the power of God instead of the power of sin. God, we thank you for your love for us. I pray that as we are here this morning, for those that have never reached out in your direction, God, I pray that they will feel your presence and know that you are here. That when you when when they speak, you listen and you show up. God, we thank you that you show up. We thank you that you love us enough to never leave us, never forsake us. God, for those who have heard this message a bunch of times and they just forgot they forgot and they've lost sight and they thought that they just needed to do better and to live up to some standard. Well, God, we can't live up to your glorious standard. That's the beauty of the gospel, that we don't need to try. Instead, we can be made right with you and you can continue to transform us, to change us through and through, to make us a new creation. God, we pray that you continue to do that in each one of our lives, that the Holy Spirit continues to work on us continues to convict us, continues to move in us so that we can be justified sinners, to know that we are made right with you, that we are at your table. And God, I pray for all of us that we can remember that we are at one table, that we are one family of God, that you are redeeming us all together, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, men, women, children, the oldest and the youngest. God, as we, as we think about that this morning, help us remember that we are a body of Christ together, that there is no room for judgment because you love us and you have broken down that division. God, we thank you for continuing to meet us for continuing to show up 
And God, we know that your word is true, and we know that you will always show us, that you will always always give us that love, because nothing can separate us from your love. God, we thank you, and we love you.